0: Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson.
1: I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel.
0: Let's jump into the news. First up, another exciting feature is coming in OTP24. It is being called EEP54. I don't actually know what that stands for. But what this is, is it adds extended error information to Erlang's standard library. So Jose Valim did the extra work to integrate EEP 54 into Elixir. And now those previously notoriously bad error messages you got when you're working with ETS tables that just say something like argument error and you kind of give you no idea what was going on. Those are much nicer. Jose tweeted about this and shared like a before and after picture where you can check out what the messages look like after the improvement. I'm excited about that because I think ETS tables are awesome. And they are a little bit quirky and it certainly can be scary if you're coming new to Elixir and you'd like to play with those and you're getting these weird, just, I have no idea what these are errors. So this is one of those things that I think is just a developer quality of life improvement.
1: Just to give you an example, like before the error message would be just argument error, but now it'll be errors were found in the given arguments. First argument, the table identifier does not refer to an existing ets table. Second argument, not a tuple. Like <laughs> that's much more descriptive than what it used to be.
2: That's really nice. I wonder. I get I get argument errors in a lot of things other than ETS. Is this ETS specific, or at least that's what Jose was highlighting is how it applied to ETS. I don't know
0: how it will apply to just other Erlang errors in general. That'll be really interesting to see.
1: Uh just looking at the EEP, um, looks like it'll, it'll it's going to approve runtime uh, errors in a, in a lot of different places. Yeah, it's not just ETS. Very nice.
2: By the way, that stands for Erling Enhancement Proposals or Process. In other news, OTP24RC2 was released. Reportedly, there's going to be three RCs. So by the time you hear this, we might have OTP24 already released. This should be exciting. There's, There's a lot of great enhancements coming in this release. And most notably, we have the new JIT. The Elixir 112 release, which we're looking forward to, is also waiting on this OTP24 release to come out first. Cool. The Elixir book club is commencing. Looks like there will be two scheduled discussions to help
1: cover time zones. Uh, One's going to be convenient to the Americas and the other convenient to European countries. So be sure to check out the Discord and join in on the fun. Uh, Just a
2: reminder, the book club is going over the Designing OTP Systems book. Herman Valesco, who we talked to before in episode 18 about his TDD book, is maintaining the Bamboo library and released 2.0.2. Bamboo is a library that helps with generating and testing emails in your Elixir systems. He says that he's trying to release a lot more frequently, so it's nice to see that the library has been picked up again and he's, he's helping out there.
0: And next is a really big topic, just kind of covering some of our close neighbors in the programming community. And there was some big news recently around Ruby on Rails and PHP. And this is not a bash on anyone else kind of a, a segment. This is just, hey, let's talk about what's happening in the community and what can we learn from this. So first, just to cover the Ruby on Rails one, if you have come from the Ruby on Rails environment or kind of ecosystem prior to coming to Elixir, you are probably already aware of this. So what happened was the My Magic library, it's a Ruby gem, was used by over 577,000 projects just on GitHub alone. And it was pulled over licensing issues. So this type of problem could happen to any large project in any ecosystem. This actually impacted me at work too, where we do maintain some production Rails applications. But the the explanation is that the current maintainer of MyMagic was notified that the library listed as an MIT license uses code that was directly taken from a project that had a GPL v2 license, and that license had been incorrectly removed. And the GPL v2 license would require all derivative works to take on the GPL v2 license, which isn't what most of these projects would actually want to do. And this caused CI systems and deployment systems around the world to break, while devs raced to find replacements for this MIME-type library.
1: Yeah. So it made me curious. Uh, where does, where does plug? Where does Elixir get its, its MIME type database from? So I, I, I looked at it and, uh, it, we're, we're getting it from a Fedora project called MailCap. Uh, MailCap is a, is a, is a command line program to manage mail uh, on, on Linux systems. And, and so there's a mime types file out there on that project and it, and it just looks like that we just periodically sync from from that The good news is is that, that project is MIT licensed we don't have we don't have the same licensing issues there and and there are many of these mime type databases so that's just that's just one of them uh and because it has a good license i figure I, I i don't know the reasons why we chose that one but i i figure that was a reason why it was that the, the license was uh was compatible with a lot of the other Elixir and Phoenix projects out there, so it's good to know where these, you know, where these come from. You know what? Somewhat argue that this stuff can't even be copyrighted. It's, I don't, I don't know where I fall on that, but it's just a, it's just a list of, st- of facts. You know, like there's these, there's these files. They have these, uh, these file extensions, and when they have that extension, it's, it's that kind of file. So that's not really like. You know, like we developed something. It's it's more it's more like observations of what's occurring in the world. <laughs> so I find it uh, the whole copyright uh, conversation around this kind of interesting anyway. But uh, just heads up, you know that that's where Elixir and Plug uh, gets their mime type database. Um, it's from a Fedora project. It's MIT licensed. Uh, so thankfully we didn't fall into the same issue. But like Mark said, this could happen at any at any point. You know, with any any project, so just make sure you know where
0: you're getting your code from. Yeah. And just to kind of follow on with that, I was just kind of thinking about this. And it's like, well, what what can I learn from this, this whole uh, ordeal? And I noticed around the same time, Jose Valim tweeted, and he didn't in any way link this tweet to what was going on with the Rails community. I don't actually mean to attribute it and say it is that, but the sentiment still applies. He says, I'm not an English native speaker, so I can't really say, but in Portuguese, the word dependency has a slight negative connotation, which I think nicely suits software development. After all, dependencies are still your responsibility. He added later, to be clear, the negative connotation is not that depths are bad, but rather something you'd want to consider instead of blindly accepting them as good. But hey, perhaps it's not best to take dependency advice from a person who created his own language. (laughs) So I (laughs) thought that was funny. But, But the idea is is true. Like I've worked, you know, I've worked on Rails projects where it was really common, you know, you're just like, hey, I'm looking for something that can solve this problem. There's a huge catalog of Ruby gems out there and you just go grab one and bring it to the project. And it's just kind of like everyone's kind of doing that and you end up with a lot of dependencies that weren't really thought out. And I've seen it happen on Elixir projects too, where it's like, hey, here's this really cool new thing. Let me try that out. And they bring it in. And there just really isn't any planned conscious decision around it now, David, I know when we were talking previously, you talked about how like at your employer where you guys have a sit down discussion around like, hey, do we want to make sure we add this dependency? Like, what is that like? What do you, how do you guys approach that?
1: Yeah, we, we, have a, we have a policy. Anytime that there's a dependency that wants to be that somebody wants to add to a project, like we have a list of questions that we ask, like, how often is it maintained? You know, is there frequent updates to it? Is it something that deserves to be frequently updated? Uh, what's the license on it? <laughs> that's one. Uh, that's a question we ask. Do we agree that this is not like our core thing that we do, you know, at, at at our at our job? Is this something that's very critical? Is this something that we really want to kind of offshore to something else? You know, if it's, if it's critical to what we're doing, we probably don't want to bring in a third party dependency. Um, those are the big points that we kind of, we kind of discuss. And, but the big thing is, is like, yeah, we discuss it. We don't just willy nilly add, add gems or dependencies to, to projects just just because, right? We just, we want to make sure that they're fully thought out. Um, that we've considered the alternatives because there usually are alternatives and that we choose the best one that fits, that fits our needs. Sometimes that means, especially in early elixir days sometimes it means that we make our own dependency um you know the daytime parser is one example like i did i didn't see one out there in the elixir world that could do that so we just sat down and we just did it and sometimes you know even if there is a a library out there that does exactly what you want if it is important to what you need to do to to accomplish your business, sometimes it's still worth it to to go in and create one or you know direct, fork something or derive something and maintain it on your own because it is important. You want to control
0: that you know that update cycle. Yeah, and I just remember uh, previous discussions where we've kind of talking about like LiveView itself, like the LiveView package. And I went and looked at it again just to see if this was if this still held true. But it has a very small list of dependencies as opposed to like, you know, if you remember from the NPM days with the left pad where like everything depended on this library to do this little tiny piece of functionality and it got pulled. And it was, you know, created a a big kerfuffle. (laughs) Like just looking at Phoenix Live View, it has three runtime dependencies, two of which are Phoenix, which totally makes sense. And another one is telemetry, which is like super lightweight and has no other dependencies. And there's one other optional dependency on JSON, which is a JSON library. There are some other developer dependencies too, like xdocs and things like that. This just kind of reinforces to me my desire to keep the number of dependencies that I choose to bring into my applications to be only those that are the most valuable. It is crazy to think I'm going to write everything myself, right? I'm not going to write my own database adapter. I'm not going to write my own web adapter. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use libraries. But like when there's a, a library that provides a little bit of syntactic sugar, but doesn't really do anything else, like really meaningful, like solving a really hard problem, then I'm just going to say no to bring it into my project. I've been in those situations where those, those do get brought in and they kind of become no longer maintained and now you have to rip them out. So relatedly, I just want to touch on what happened in the PHP community. So their project's official Git server was compromised. And it wasn't like a developer's machine was compromised and they they then had malicious code being committed. This was actual compromise of the Git server itself. What happened was, is some malicious code was added that would add backdoors to the actual language itself. Luckily, the malicious changes were detected within a couple hours and immediately reverted. But in their reporting, Bleeping Computer said, The incident is alarming considering PHP remains the server-side programming language to power over 79% of the websites. On the internet. I think a lot of that is just in WordPress. As a precaution, following this incident, the PHP maintainers have decided to migrate the official PHP source code repository to GitHub. So, this is another type of dependency where you're choosing to depend on a system where it's a Git server, but it's something that you're having to maintain. You know, like this is why I don't host my own email server, even though I think that'd be cool. Uh, I don't do it (laughs) because I don't want to have the responsibility for keeping it up to date all the time. This is why a lot of my simple websites are static pages right? Because the things I do choose to host, I am saying I'm responsible for staying on top of patching them and maintaining them. It's just one of those things. It's like, you know, I'm not throwing shade on anybody. This kind of stuff can happen anywhere to any company, to any project. These are just some sobering things to consider.
1: All right. Last bit of news for today's Sean Moriarty is continuing his weekly NX tip of the week blogging practice. If you're interested in NX, make sure you check that out nx's Elixir's push into the machine learning space. If you forgot what that is, so it's pretty cool. These are tips that he's writing uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, they're not those small little snippets, you know, that can fit in a tweet. So you do need to go and check out the the post at length. Um, but they're medium sized tips. I think they're they're great. So if you're looking to learn more about machine learning in general, go check out
0: his tip series. That's it for the news. Today we're really excited to have our special guest Valina Petrova. Velina, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, guys. uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, thank you for coming on. I was excited because I saw you did this blog post about doing autocomplete search component with Phoenix Live View and AlpineJS. And I thought, you know, that is cool because you're, you're basically describing... You're doing the whole pedal stack here. And the pedal stack is something we're excited about. You know, We're advocating for people giving it a try. And you're saying, hey, I wanted to try and do something that was a little bit more more than just like you know crud forms and just the tiny little stuff i'm i'm doing a little bit i wanted to play with this and share the journey so i thought that was fun and i wanted to kind of learn from you and kind of what that's been like for you but before we jump into that and the other things that have been part of your experience in doing this we'd like to hear a little bit more about you so where do you live and what kind of work are you doing
3: That's a funny story in itself. So uh, if you like, if you heard my name, it's like, it does sound Slavic. So I am originally from Bulgaria, which is a country located in Eastern Europe, but I am currently working and living on the other side of the world in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And I moved here around five years ago for work. I think around five years ago, I had kind of a shift in careers. I mean, I was in the IT industry for a while now, but I was kind of, you know, tempted to dip my toes into web development, which I haven't done before. And just so happened that I found a company in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, that kind of aligned with my personal values and goals and understanding of what, like, a team culture should be. And they were offering to hire junior web developers at the time. So at the time, the positions were for Ruby. So that was something that was quite exciting for me then. So I just gave it a chance. And, you know, somehow they hired me and I packed up two suitcases and moved. I left everything behind and just moved like the other way, like halfway around the world. And here I am five years later, still living in Malaysia and I have kind of transitioned away from Ruby into Elixir and Phoenix. And it has been like an amazing, joyful journey in terms of my engineering career as well.
0: That's exciting. Before the show, we were talking about some of what it's like living in Malaysia. And it sounds like it's a really fascinating place. One of the things that was interesting that you were kind of also alluding to is the company that you work for, that there's an alignment there. So I just wonder if you could share a little bit about what Mind Valley is and what, what their mission is.
3: Mind Valley is not your typical tech company. Actually, we are focusing on pushing and transforming the boundaries of modern day education by focusing more on like non-conventional areas of education which are like personal growth, personal development, spirituality, health, fitness, entrepreneurship. These are kind of the topics that you won't encounter in your university curriculum or in the high school curriculums, but they are kind of the topics that will help carry you forward in your life. Obviously, it's about giving people the chance to kind of, you know, explore these topics through the means of technology. So this is kind of at least for me, because end of the day, is like I, I've always cared about personal growth, like obviously my personal growth. And I've looked into ways of how I can, you know, learn more and get better right so to actually find the company that is like it's focused on that but then at the same time i have the space to like to pursue my engineering career as well was something that really excited me it's been a very amazing journey in terms of you know and i feel that my personal growth and engineering career like and in terms of how the company operates and how the team culture is and how it promotes you know us also, you know, growing and, and trying new things out and not being afraid of taking chance and taking risks. And of course, I'm talking about the careers of engineers, right? That's kind of my domain, right? So it's like, for us, it's okay, try new things, try new technologies, don't be afraid to take risks. It's like, if you see in terms of technologies, right? Is like, and this is how my experience kind of with Alpine also and Tailwind and Phoenix Live, you came about, no one told us like, you should use this. It's more about like me and my team as engineers. We felt that like, you know, this was the right step for us to do. And then we just gave it a chance and tried it out. And like our, let's say our CTO and like our team leads, they supported it all the way through with that decision.
0: Well, I'd love to jump in now and just kind of talk about this blog post. And more than just the blog post and what what you're covering, I also want to make sure that we're talking about the process that you went through of deciding to even do this? Because I understand, you know, it can be uncomfortable to like put yourself out there, right? But first, like, let's talk about like, what is this that you were exploring and playing with? And what did you create?
3: The blog post, it's like, as the title, it says, it's an, I just created an autocomplete search. Basically, what it does is like, you have a list. It can have like any input, right? It's like you get an input, then you can have the option to go through the input, select the values that you want. And then at the same time, like you store the selected results somewhere, right? And you have the option to add the results and then to remove results, right? So this is kind of the basic general concept of it. This blog post, it was more to demonstrate this idea and how this can be built. It's not like something new, right? It's, like, it's a concept that we're familiar with, but it's like, okay, how would I do this like with this particular given stack? Now I have Elixir, I have Phoenix, how do I solve this, right? And it's like, so this was for me trying to answer that particular question. And the inspiration for this actually came from trying to solve the similar problem in my work. I was actually working on a feature, and as a part of the feature, I was required to implement, like, we have design. Our designers are, like, amazing, and they come up with the most, you know, and I think every engineer and developer can kind of create to that. Is like, you know, you have designers, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to build this amazing, you know, design for you. It's going to have this perfect UX. And then you look at the design, and you scratch your head a little bit, and you're like oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes for designers, it's just, I'm going to add and remove boxes. But then let's say for the developer, you know, to kind of achieve this functionality, it might take sometimes a week worth of work, right? That's how I found myself a little bit is like trying to scratch my mind and figure out like an elegant solution to this is like how am I going to achieve this with the context that I'm actually I already have I already had a project and the project already has like Elixir and Phoenix and that particular page didn't have live view in it so that was a little bit of a challenge so I still want to get the benefits out of live view so how do I do this and then it's like that's that's how in my work I sat down and I built this and then I discovered Oh, wow, there's some interesting learnings out of it. And this was, at least for me, this was the first time that I got the chance to use Alpine in my work project. I've been having the itch to kind of, you know, use Alpine for, I mean, I've been hearing about like the petal stack and like Alpine. I've been using Phoenix Live View for about a year now and as well as Tailwind CSS So it's been quite joyful, like it's been a quite joyful experience, but Alpine was a little bit, I've read the documentation, I've heard it's cool, but you know, until you actually get the chance to use it in a project, you cannot appreciate everything that it can give you, right? For me, it's like, that was my learning as well is like using Alpine there. And I thought like, that is something cool and that's something amazing. Let me kind of, you know, share this out. So this blog post came about me also trying to share my learnings and to kind of cement because it's like, you know, sometimes you go and then you code stuff and it's sometimes it's easier to code and to develop features than to kind of talk about it or to describe it. And that is one of my beliefs is the best way that you can learn something is by teaching it to someone else. And one very interesting way to teach, of course, is to write about your learnings. That is how this particular blog post came about. Me kind of just going and sharing through the experience.
0: I think a, a lot of people might be able to empathize with that position, right? Like, you know, if you, you've ever been a kid in math class, and the teacher's up there showing how to do something, and like, oh, yeah, I got this, I got this. And you go home, and you try to do it, and you're like, I don't know what to do. It is that whole process of, Going through and saying, okay, I'm not just trying to figure this out to make it work. I'm going to go further and it's like, I want to write about it. Because when you start to write about it, you realize things you thought you understood, you really don't understand. And then it forces you, if you want to actually write about it, to actually dig deeper. And like, well, what happens if I do this? It's a fun process, isn't it?
3: You know, it's like you think you know stuff until you actually start writing them down. That's how my mind is if I'm going to teach you something, I want to make sure that you get the most out of this experience and especially writing and publishing stuff out is like, you don't know who's going to read this. You can have like someone that has never had any exposure with Phoenix Live View. For example, I'm just using this concrete example. Is it? If I have someone that has never read Phoenix Live View go through this post or someone that has never worked with, let's say, Alpine or someone that has never built a component before, try to read this post. I don't want them to give up halfway there. You want to take the person on a journey. That's how I see it. It It's like, that's why in my blog post, there's always like introductions. There's the wireframe and the sketches that I use. There is also, you know, the bullet points, the graphics, the documentation. Even though sometimes creating a GitHub, you know, repo with just a couple of, you know, files might seem like a little bit of a waste. It's like, come on, it's so obvious. But again, you never know who's reading your stuff. And there might be one person That goes through this blog post, and they're like, oh, wow, that was very helpful having the repository and everything and the graphics, right?
2: Well, I can personally say I appreciate you writing about this because this component, this autocomplete component, is something that I would say 100% of my previous employers have asked me to build, right? It's it's such a common thing. And so I, I come from the React community, and there's this library called Downshift, and its sole purpose in life is this component right here to like help you build, gives you all of the primitive resources you would need or functionality you would need to build this kind of component. So that just goes to say like how how big of a deal these kind of components are, I guess, how, how common they are. So I have not built one in LiveView yet, but I know that I will come reading this the moment that somebody asks me <laughs> to build it.
3: Oh, wow, thank yeah. you. That's very kind of you.
2: Well, one of the things
0: you mentioned there was you mentioned your wireframes. And that was one of the things I liked about this because when you're trying to describe something in text that is ultimately a visual thing, right? You're trying to describe like what a designer has brought to you. And, you know, maybe you're not going to be throwing in like those designs. You know, this is outside of that work project. But I love that you created these little wireframes just to give some context of like, this is what we're trying to create. I have autocomplete. And when I select something, it has a different little area that shows what's selected. And I have little X's on them so I can remove selections. I like that. You mentioned that you're using an interesting tool to do this. Can you tell us a little about that tool?
3: I use Excalibur. It's a free open source tool. It's like anyone can use it. It's my favorite tool to do sketches. Imagine you have a whiteboard, there's no lines, no nothing, and you just have a basic, you have a basic set of you know elements you can choose to create whatever you want. Like you can create diagrams, you can create basic designs, you can create mockups, you can have like a selection of colors, selections of different fonts. Even though it's very basic, somehow it's like the people that developed this, they have really tapped into how something so simple can look so beautiful. It's like somehow <laughs> all of my wireframes, just because I use that too, they look very beautiful. Everyone that, like, I kind of show these wireframe because I use them in my work in a tree, especially if I want to, you know, brain sync with someone. It's not just for blog posts, especially if I'm, let's say, maybe I'm working on a project and I need to kind of write the diagram and the architecture. I just go to Excalibur. I like spend like 10 minutes, just draw the diagram. I can even do it in a live session, let's say, if I'm with, on a call with a colleague Because like no whiteboards right now, right? And it's my whiteboard. And I just draw and I talk and explain. And it's as I'm walking through the process of the architecture for the particular feature that we're going to use is like, it's very easy for the person to follow. I've noticed it does make overall my my life as an engineer in my work, like just simplifies it so much more.
0: It's Excalibur. And what I liked is it's a GitHub project that's written in TypeScript. And so you can like self-host it, do it yourself, or you'll use the hosted version, which you can hook into uh, libraries so you can bring in predefined components and stuff. I've seen Balsamic as like a design UI kind of tool that designers would use. And I just thought this was a fun one. And I appreciated your use of it.
1: Yeah, I, t- I totally love the uh, the diagramming applications. I've been using Whimsical myself. But one thing I, I like about uh, Excalibur is... Well, they they focus on the hand-drawn art style on it, which is more important than I think maybe some folks realize is, is that it's very tempting to just like completely design what it's going to look like. I've seen this done a lot in Figma. Usually what I've seen with designers and Figma is that they'll give that to their clients. It's a high fidelity Design document at this point, and their clients will think that's what I'm getting <laughs> and, and that's before developers had even been you know brought into the conversation and having these low fidelity or hand-drawn kind of art styles really bring the expectations back down to earth is like this is what we're trying to get to is something along these lines, but it may not look exactly like that
0: <laughs> And just to like clarify when he says hand-drawn, like you create a box and it looks like a box where someone did it with, with a pen. Right, like you, yeah. there's like double lines, and it's just not perfect. Yeah. Like it's super easy to make a box straight, right? In in a web, it's harder to actually mm-hmm. make it not straight.
2: It kind of looks like they used a cal- uh, It almost looks like they used a ruler, and they like went too far on one of the corners, so it's like sticking out on one end. And- yeah, yeah. So it really is that style. So that is cool. That's important. Yeah, especially when you're talking to
1: other. To downstream clients, even and just as important you know internally as well, so no one gets too stuck on like that's what it's supposed to look like, you know
0: so one of the things I wanted to come back to this blog post is what was your experience like then, having created this, looking at some of the code samples, it's like, yep, yeah, like for clicking to remove it's like yep, that's that's nice and small and tidy. It seems very clean to me like what was it like for you writing this and just experiencing it?
3: obviously like uh, you're seeing the final product right It's like in in the final product because it's for a blog post I think it's something that you can relate to especially like having a podcast and doing all the editing right like you listen to the episode and then at the end of it everything looks you know smooth and clean but no one sees what's going on behind the scenes right so for me it was the same experience it's like first time it was like it was like the wild west uh, this was when I was actually doing the I was doing you know the new work on the project I was just going on trying things out throwing this throwing out like but then it's like it was easier writing this because it was the second time around you don't actually see my production code right so you you don't see you know all the efforts and it's like Actually, Alpine came a little bit late into the picture, right? It's like because at first, and this is like the interesting part about the Alpine, like how it came into, into play, is because first I just had the idea to use Phoenix Live View for this search component, right? And of course, just using Tailwind because it's like, it's the simplest way to do styles, Let's just accept it. So but then it's like as I came to the point and like especially when I wanted to, you know, to hide and to show because I wanted to hide the component, show the component, hide the results, show the results. And then I could have actually achieved this by just using Phoenix Live View. That would have been totally possible but then i would have ended up having to write a lot of extra code in terms to handle like you know the different cases and one of the challenges that i was facing is that it was not a live view application itself it was phoenix application even the page itself was not like generated by live view. So I just had like a normal, imagine this, I just had like a normal Phoenix template. And then I was just adding this, you know, autocomplete search component. And this was the only Phoenix live view component in it. I came to the point when I needed to write, you know, the functionality about hiding the results, displaying the results, making sure because at the end of the day, I don't want the user to get it. Someone's going to use this. Right. I'm not just coding it for myself, but I want the customers that are using this to be very clear about the behavior. I click away what happens. I focus on it. What happens? And then this is where the struggle came is that I would have had to do a lot of work just with Phoenix Live View to accommodate for that. And then that's where the idea came is that, like, hey, well, what would happen if I actually used Alpine JS, right? I just added it in. And honestly, I just needed to change like literally four lines of my HTML template and it was working. So I was I was mind blown at how easy and simple was it otherwise you would have taken me probably around I don't know maybe one more day work and it just happened like and my problem was solved in like easily like one hour like half an hour just to like add the Alpine JS to the project that is kind of the experience that let's say if you read this blog post you don't really see that but that is kind of the struggle that I had Going into this and where Alpine JS came like as the solution to my problem. So that is how the final result came to be nice, neat and clean.
1: Do you remember finding anything during this process? Do you, do you remember finding anything surprising when developing this and that you had to like maybe change your approach?
3: I would say something that surprised me a little bit was that, uh, funny enough, is like I thought that uh, adding JS would be like a breeze. So, you know, <laughs> I just I just OK, never mind. I was like, I have my project. I just, you know, install the dependency. OK, it works. And then I just, you know, added my four beautiful lines of code, and then it's like it was working in my local. All the tests were passing; everything was great. And then, like, hey, okay, let's cool. Let's, you know, let's get it to production, right? And that's always the point of actually having a production application in a production build. This kind of changes the game, right? And then it's like, oh it's not working our javascript is not working what is happening all the tests passed successfully right and then it's like we needed to go back to the board like back to you know to alpine js and trying to figure out what was going on and then we actually figured out that we needed to, I think it was the CSS preprocessor that was using. It was like, because we were learning like an older version of the Webpack, So the, uh, mm. the default uh, preprocessor there was actually not compatible with Alpine JS. And because of this, you know, we got like some errors in production. So uh, that was a little bit of a surprise for us, like uh, something unexpected, but easily solvable, so to speak.
1: I find it uh, slightly funny that your surprises didn't actually come out of Phoenix Live View. It came out of the, the, <laughs> the, the Node.js asset
0: process, like, you know, uh, asset the JavaScript pipeline build there. pipeline, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I thought was cool that you'd mentioned is just the idea that you were able to take a Phoenix application server rendered page and say, there's a good use case for a Live View portion on this page. And just being able to plug that in. Because I think that's something that people can kind of really, they can get their head around that. And they say, you know, I don't have to go all in. I don't have to do my whole website yeah. over. I have a new component, a new feature. And this is a good candidate for something that LiveView could do really well. And then it gives them a space to try that out. Having done that, did your coworkers were they happy with it? Or were they like, oh, that was really cool. Or like, oh, I'm not sure about this. Maybe we won't keep it what kind of acceptance has there been with other people and using live view in this way?
3: That is a little bit of the history of how we work with it. It's like, because we build the project that I'm working, which is like, basically we're building an online, it's like an online learning platform, right? So this is just the portion, is the portion of it that our customers are using. So it's front end, this is the front end basing. So the, the design interactivity is like, sometimes goes through the roof. So that's why we get, you know, challenged over and over, you know, to figure out how to go about this, right? But basically we've been like, my whole team has been a fan of, Phoenix Live View. But the thing is, Phoenix Live View came into the picture after we actually did our initial setup. And the thing about like, you know, because it's nice and cool to do these experiments and to build your own like small applications and projects, but in the day-to-day work, right? Uh, like as a developer, like, you're working on a production and it's, like, you cannot just say it's, like, hey guys, we're going to rewrite all of this into Phoenix Live View because it's cool. Your business stakeholders are going to come to you and they'll be like, hey, but I need this 10 features and now you want to stop for a month and just do something that I don't know what that's going to do, right? So that's kind of the real, real world, like a reality check, right? So in a sense, it's like, if we can, as an engineers, so we would love to kind of, you know, rewrite and just create a new Phoenix live view application because it would be a perfect fit for us. But not having the time to do it is like we are kind of, you know, exp- trying to little bit by little bit shift our project into the direction that it can generally like nicely and gracefully transition into like from a normal Phoenix application to kind of start having this live view ingrained into it. And, you know, actually using the Alpine and in terms of because you mentioned acceptance, right? It's like, actually, I got the idea to use JS from one of my colleagues. I was kind of doing a rant, so to say, about like, how is this? Why is this? It's a simple search. Why is it so complicated to do? Why should we, you know, we should do go and rewrite this whole thing. In life. And I just went on a rant, like something like this. Right. And then he said, yeah, have you tried JS? I think that would be cool. He said, I haven't tried it myself, but I have the feeling that will help you out. And I was like, hmm, okay. It's like, no one's tried it before in this project. Let me give it a try, right? So in a way, like, as I said, the whole team was very on board with the idea. And it's like, they're already in like, now my other colleagues are already asking that, like, okay, it's like, we have this next feature. We should use JS here as well. So in a way, it's like, I can see that there is like, Using Alpine JS, especially in combination with Phoenix Live View, is like it does generate excitement. Like in the engineers, you know, they actually want to go and they wanna try it out for themselves.
0: Well, Valina, I think this is a good time to transition and kind of talk a little bit more about what this experience has been like in kind of blogging and writing and kind of putting yourself out there. I discovered your article because it got picked up by Elixir Radar. So I'm assuming that, you know, you just like, hey, I'm just gonna put out this little quiet little blog post. And then it kind of like gets it some attention. So, what was that like? Like, have you been blogging for a long time? What has this experience been like for you?
3: I love my work as an engineer and it's like, I love talking about technology, but I am, I am shy about sharing what I know. Right. Or it's like, at least it's like, that's how I've been up to a certain point. Right. I told myself, okay, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, time for, it was the next natural step for me to kind of grow as an engineer is to start sharing my knowledge because it's like, you know, as a junior and as a mid, it's about input, you're getting input, but then as you start in your career to transition more towards like a more senior role, it's like, it's a very natural transition. It's like you're taking input, but and then you naturally start producing output, right? So for me, blogging was, okay, that's one way that I would want to express myself. And then I think this is like very natural is like because a lot of people share a lot of stuff every day. It's like writing, uh vlogging podcasts there is like you know if you do a google search you would notice is like probably what is on your mind somebody has already written a blog post or made a podcast about it so (laughs) it's always like especially for beginners there is this you know thing of like a little bit of a discouragement It's like oh no why why should i write when there's already three amazing blog posts and a documentation already published there is like who would read that? What's the point, right? But then that was that was at least kind of uh, one of my learnings from this whole experience is like, it doesn't matter. It's like, because writing is about yourself. You're learning how to write. And then also in the process of learning, you learn how to better systemize your knowledge. And end of the day, if even let's say one or two people read your stuff, that's already good enough. It's like someone found value out there and you helped someone, right? So it was like a little bit of a mental block. And then once I kind of, you know, realized that, I told myself, never mind. I just, I just go for it, right? But then again, I just, I just wrote my blog post. I used Medium, right? Because I just wanted to get started. This, that, that was my point is like, I didn't want to have the excuse. Oh no, I need to create my website. I need to create my blog post, you know, my blog, you know, I need to have all the backend or I need to have the domain and everything. I just wanted to write. And then that's why I picked Medium because it was simple and easy way to just get started I just published the stuff and I was like I just let it out into the internet whoever sees it will see it I didn't tell anyone honestly that the mind blowing thing about me is like I didn't tell no one like my colleagues friends family I just wrote I wrote it for myself and I just I just let it out and just like I I Gave the best that I could to kind of, you know, present the topic that I'm writing about and then also learning. I'm myself learning from that experience. So I was quite mind blown when I, you know, and I, and I didn't understand what was happening because at the end, this is, I think later I figured out that the blog post that I did for the autocomplete got picked up by, by the newsletter, right? And then at suddenly, you know, like my colleagues and my friends were like, "Hey, I saw your blog post you're writing," and I was like, "Oh, what?" what? So it was like my secret was no longer a secret. <laughs> but the the key point here that was so amazing for me is that when you put the time and when you know when you put the effort, is like if you do something valuable, is like one way or the other, it will find its way to the right people, the people that would benefit the most out of it.
0: I think that's great encouragement for anyone out there who's considering you know, writing something. I know I've felt that way before where I look and see, oh, someone's already written this. This topic is well covered. I don't need to write anything about that. And then just you know, realizing, well, hold on, there is value still in creating it. Like Even if the value is only to me, because like we talked about like the whole idea of teaching it makes you learn it better right so there's value just in that but then there is value just because the way you say something is different than the way someone else does and it's going to connect with somebody someone will connect with that with your voice over my voice right it's just going to they're like they're going to resonate with you and so have more people putting their stuff out there it's a great way to help one share their excitement around elixir and just kind of tell people what hey You can solve problems like this, and this is this is how you do it, and this is how I did it, and I think you should try this. There's value there. So anyway, I think it's awesome. Congrats for doing it. I'm just curious now. Like, are you going to keep going? You're going to keep blogging and posting, and what what's what's next for you?
3: Oh, for sure. It's like uh, I I'm not stopping. That's that's for sure. It's like it's kind of this whole this whole experience is like it kind of it showed me that. And even you know, even having the chance to be uh here on your podcast, it kind of it kind of showed me that, you know, is like when you when you get the courage to kind to of put yourself out there, you're putting your experience. Like not just yourself, but you're putting your experience and that is kind of what differentiates, let's say, each developer, right? It's like my your, my experience is not your experience, right? So even though we might have worked on the same, let's say on the same product, or we might have worked, let's say on the same problem because of like our different environment, we our experience might be totally different, right? So even though we, if let's say, if we are writing for the same thing, the result can be different, right? And different people can relate to that. So for me, it's more like it just showed me like how this was my first chance to kind of, you know, put something out there into the Elixir community and to kind of, you know, get the chance to see this positive response. It's very encouraging. And I do think it's like it's very encouraging for everyone that's kind of even if they're just getting started on their journey, you know, with Elixir and the Elixir community and just trying, you know, to look and see what what's happening around that, you know, there is a lot of white spaces that can be filled and can be covered and that there is an opportunity for people, you know, to to find their voice and to share their experience and like for their knowledge to actually help other people grow.
1: I I just have to agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like I just relate to a lot of that. And it's a different time for a lot of different folks. So when when they do decide to do this, you know, to put themselves out there, write about it, tweet about it, whatever. I think it's always worth it past your own insecurities to just do it. And even if you do tweet something that or write something that is like factually incorrect, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's fine. You know, like, you know how the Internet works. You're you're going to find the right solution out of that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to benefit everybody, including yourself, you know. And, and the goal is to have a, a positive discussion around it and a space for a positive discussion. And it sometimes can be hard to remember to be positive. But I still think that that is a value part of the pr- uh, process you know e- even if it's not about elixir it can be about anything and and it's going to be a similar thing
0: one tip i was just going to share that you reminded me of is you know being teachable like if you're putting yourself out there yeah like if you're wrong and i've done that too like you put out something that's wrong just be teachable and say oh thank you for showing me where i had that wrong and that totally helps just be okay with that the other tip i would say is when you're putting yourself out there don't make it don't feel like it's about you if you kind of put your mind in the like valina was describing earlier you know, if someone's coming here and this is their first exposure to Alpine, or if they're coming here, it's their first exposure to Live View, you know, she's putting her mind from the perspective of the audience, of someone, a more specific person, not just like a, a wall of faces. It's like a specific person is coming from this perspective and that's who I'm talking to. Yeah. That's that's such an easier way to write because it's you're writing to a like a more defined person. And those people who fit that, they will resonate with that. So, any other tips you want to share, just on your writing journey that you've that you've kind of experienced so far?
3: Uh, yeah, it's like something. Actually, this is something very important that they kind of learned. Is uh, I mean, this is an obvious one, like patience patience and understanding that you know it doesn't matter what you're doing is like whether it's writing vlogging doing a podcast like any any medium of learning is like you're gonna have some great and amazing blog posts that are gonna resonate or content that's gonna resonate with a lot of people and there are gonna be some that are gonna be just okay and that is absolutely (laughs) fine as long like if you expect that every single you know content that you put out there is like 10 out of 10, like, you would get heartbroken. It's like, that's just the reality you're gonna have, like, some of your stuff is gonna be amazing. And some of the stuff is they're gonna be, you know, good. And that is actually okay, as long as like literally you understand this. And it's okay, I just have some good stuff. And that's okay. I'm just gonna, you know, keep on at my own pace, doing, you know, the best that I can to kind of, you know, produce what I think, you know, is going to help others as well as, you know, myself. So basically, it's like I'm creating win, win situations for people. That is okay. As it does, like just being patient and kind of getting that understanding. I think it's very key to having like, you know, a beautiful, joyful experience when it comes to, you know, putting yourself out there to share your learnings.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate that. That hits home. I love it. Uh, and maybe one more thing to add to that too. It's like the thing that keeps me from writing sometimes is, uh, the time investment to it. Cause it's, it's hours. It's hours to write this stuff down and it's, it's hours to make sure that the GitHub re- repo is up there and makes sense. Okay. I'm diving into self-plugging, uh, self-plug moments now. All right. So, so blog posts, wonderful. You know, uh, love it. Long form. Usually, long form. If you're not interested in that time investment, but you have this cool little code snippet that you're looking for, you know, that's that you think is valuable. I think that's where something like ElixirStream.dev can come in you know, just be a, a, a place for you to just post that there. You're still, you know, it, it's going to be tweeted. It's going to be, you know, put on, on your name. You're still getting all that, all that credit for it. But as far as like a platform, that's got a, an audience already and short digestible little things, something to just get over that boundary of like, or that, that, that wall of like, I just don't have hours to invest in this. <laughs> but I have, I have one good thing here that I, w- I really want to show. Sorry for the self-plug, but I think that that was, that was a personal need for for myself, actually. Um, so th- that was one thing that, like, prevented me from writing and putting my voice out there too much was, was just like, yeah, it just takes too much time.
3: <laughs> That's something really important that you're saying is just to realizing is, like, you need to figure out what works best for, like, what, what works best for you, right? It's like, for me, it's like... I love it detailed with diagrams, with graphics, and I love writing, right? So I've I've kind of tapped into that's my thing, and that's what I'm going to, you know, do, and I'm going to get good at that, like, because, like, getting good at something comes with practice, like, trying different here, here, and there is, like, it kind of helps you to understand what's your thing, right? So it's like, it's important to know is that like just because person A is doing, you know, long blog posts doesn't mean that person B will be able to do the same thing, right? It, it doesn't <laughs> work this way, right? So yeah. uh, just finding your thing and going with that is like, it's already fantastic.
0: Well, Valina, I think we're about out of time. But before we go, I want to make sure people can get in touch with you or follow you online. Where's the best way for them to go to do that?
3: I am publishing my stuff on Medium. I have my own, let's say, like Medium blogging space. Uh, But then it's like, I am also exploring and venturing, you know, into Twitter. So it's like, uh, I think that's kind of, uh, I'm figuring that, especially for developers, like that's one very good place, you know, to to be able to share the content. So for sure, whatever whatever I'm going to be writing in the future, whatever future endeavors I have in the community, probably I'm going to share that there.
0: Well, Valina, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights and perspectives. And I think it's really valuable. You know, I I want to encourage others in the community to take that step, to put themselves out there, to say, hey, this is my journey, my experience. And I think it's great. I loved hearing about yours and jumping up and moving to Malaysia, chasing an opportunity. I think that's exciting. Anyway, thank you very much for coming. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on thinking elixir
3: so that's the thing about bloopers like for native speakers is like even when you mess up it still sounds cool like i don't know i don't like this just <laughs> me like having this you know perspective because like english is not my first language right uh-huh. so for me just listening to the bloopers they're still like oh you this is a very natural bloop so it's fine i just i just throw with it
0: okay let me do that again